man, I miss you guys a lot. Like, man, I really, I really cannot put it into words. And I know you guys feel the same way uh, about me, right? I'm sure, hopefully. No. Uh, but for real, man, we really do miss each other as a church. Um, I just long to, to, for the day when we can worship each other, worship God with each other and be able to really just sing God's praises in this sanctuary here at the brook. I mean, it's empty. It's empty. But we know that your hearts are filled with praise, and that gives us encouragement. Um, I just want to acknowledge a couple things before we get started in, in God's Word. Is um, I want to just acknowledge all of my 8th graders and high school seniors right now. Um, yeah, man, we're just thankful for you guys. I know you all got some hard news a couple of days ago that the school year uh, will not be reconvening at the school. And uh, I know for you in particular, that's hard news because for you eighth graders and, and seniors in high school, there are classmates you won't be seeing again anytime soon. And um, you're not going to be able to enjoy those, those final festivities, perhaps even graduation. Um, for you high schoolers, uh, prom. Or just even just seeing friends, talking about things, uh, yearbooks, just all those exciting aspects. And we want you to know it's okay to be sad about that. Uh, you don't need to put on a front like everything's okay. Like, if you're sad, it's okay to be sad. And we also want you to know that God, God is there for you. He will hear your cries, and, uh, and he, will, he will hold you in the midst of this. But I, I do want to give you an encouragement to finish strong. I know in some ways you might feel like all this work I've done for what now? Finish strong. You've got two months left. Get that e-learning knocked out. To all my students, keep at it. And parents, man, we got your back. We're praying for you all. Please let us know if you need help because I know that you just got confronted with a big new task you weren't planning on. Um, As Pastor Jeremy was mentioning, that COVID-19 relief fund, we want to ask you to be generous. Keep giving toward that. And we're going to allocate those funds to different parts, different missions of people who've been affected by COVID-19, whether or not, whether in our church family, in the Northwest side, and even beyond to all of Chicago and the world. So we just want you to be a part of that. Um, Also, let us know how you're doing. Please, please check in. We know our real community leaders and our real community gatherings. We try to connect. But we also know that even during our Zoom calls, it's kind of tough sometimes to really be fully transparent. And so please let us know how you're doing emotionally, financially, spiritually. We want to know how we can pray for you. Um, Use that Connect card, as Pastor Jeremy mentioned, as a prayer request thing as well. And, um, And church, we just want to keep lamenting with our city and with others. It's okay to grieve. You know, when uh, we found out about the challenges that COVID-19 were placing on us here in Chicago, uh, back in early March, the Brook had to do a, a live stream and we did a live service. We did a combination. But for that Sunday, we switched the gears from a series in the book of Romans we were doing, and we started preaching on how to live an anchored life. At the time, you know, we didn't know how long this was going to take. Uh, we didn't know how long we'd be uh, in, with the stay-at-home order. But boy, uh, it's, been, it's been definitely something we did not expect. But we're so thankful that God's in control. He knows what's going on. And today I'm excited to pick back up in the book of Romans with you guys, a place where we left off uh, about five weeks ago. The book of Romans is an exciting book. You know, there are many books in the Bible, 66 to be exact. And there are different genres in the Bible. Like there are some books are written in narrative form. Some are written in didactic teaching form. Some are written in poetry or prophecy. Romans is a book that instructs us in a systematic and methodical, logical way. It is 
the unpacking of the truths of God in a succinct manner that gets to our hearts. I want you to know, as we dive into Romans, and if you've read the book of Romans, you know this to be true. We are stepping into an ocean that is far more vast than we could ever expect. So I'm super excited that we're going to pick this thing back up in Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, would you open them for me, please, and meet me in the book of Romans chapter 1. I always want to tell you, we do encourage you to get a printed Bible as opposed to an app. Apps are great. They're great on the run. They're handy. But there's nothing like a printed Bible that you can hold in your hands. You can turn to pages. You can write notes in, underline, and highlight. We want to encourage you to do that to help you with your memory of the scriptures. The book of Romans is a beautiful unpacking of who God is and what he's done to save people like you and me. All of us, church, need to be anchored. We need to know our God. And if you are listening to this and watching this live stream here, Um, and you are exploring the Christian faith, I want you to know what we are digging into here is precisely what God wants you to hear. It's like God is sounding the alarm in your life. You know, here uh, near Bell Park, and maybe where you live, every Tuesday at 10 a.m., there is a loud alarm that goes off throughout the entire neighborhood. And if you are around one of those sirens, you know what I'm talking about, because then you hear this sound. It says, this is a test. This is only a test. And this alarm system is built in for those times where it's not a test. And it's meant to grab our attention every Tuesday. The book of Romans and the passage we're going to look at today is God sounding the alarm. But the only thing is God's like, this is not a test. This is the real deal. And so we're going to understand God's posture toward humanity apart from Jesus today. You see, good truths also require hard truths. And what we're going to talk about today is a hard truth. And it is this, that God is not passive in the face of sin. It's a hard truth that we are confronted with. God is not passive. God hates sin. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, I pray that that truth is one of two things for you, two things for you. One causes you great gratitude that you've been forgiven. And secondly, that it causes your heart to ache for those who've yet to know Jesus. And if you're watching today, my prayer is that your heart would grow concerned, saying, how do I get right with God? Let's take a look at book of Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 16 through 23, but focusing on verses 18 to 23 As I preach, this is what God's word says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And here's our passage. For the wrath of God, can you say wrath of God where you're at? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, 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 all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely God's eternal power and divine nature 
has been clearly perceived. Hear that. It's been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, say exchanged, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is God's word for you. I've titled my sermon, No Excuses. In our passage today, we see this is precisely what God is saying. Not one person on the planet who has lived, who is living, or will live is without excuse if they are able to perceive the world around them. We have no excuses. God is not <clears throat> passive toward the sins of humanity. When I was a, an uh, instructor at a school, at a seminary, <clears throat> I would be grading different papers, grading different assignments from students. But there were times when I was grading an assignment, I realized a student put a wrong answer. But in my heart, I realized, I think this, this person meant to say something different, but they said the wrong thing. And in my heart, I want to be like, man, I should, I should give them a correct answer. And I know all you students are saying, yep, please give me that correct answer. Assume I had it right. But the problem was, they got it wrong. And in the same way, when God sees our sin, he knows the intentions of our heart actually are evil and that we got it wrong and God can't overlook it. And so this is what we find here in this passage. God cannot overlook sin. He is not passive in the face of sin. In fact, verse 18 says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. See, what we see here is this Fearful and burdensome descriptive of people like you and me. And at the end of the day, we find this, that God is wrathful toward sin. That's a wild thing to hear. That God has wrath toward sin. The idea of God being wrathful, I know for many of us, sounds weird to our ears, to our minds. We're like, man, I don't, I don't know how to, how to square that away. When we hear the fact that God is wrathful, some of us feel embarrassed by that. We're like, that's, that's not the God I serve. He's not angry. Some of us maybe get self-righteous being like, yeah, God, in your wrath, go get them. Go get them. Or maybe some of us, which I hope and pray we feel, is the weight of our own sin and our own need for Jesus and that being the case for others. God is wrathful toward sin. Today, ESPN is going to broadcast the first episode of a series called The Last Dance. It is the story of the 97-98 Chicago Bulls and our last championship in Chicago. Hard to believe it's been 20, uh, over 20 years. Uh, church, what we hear in this, this, uh, this documentary is how they had this final last hurrah, but then it all came to an end. 
What we're finding here in the scripture is that when all is said and done, our position before God is one that his wrath is directed toward us. This is our problem. The Bible, in fact, says this about God in Psalm 7. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Now, we're going to get to some good news here, trust me. But we got to let this bad news sink in. The Bible says in the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2, The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath toward his enemies. We find here that God has anger and wrath toward sin. Now, why is this? Well, we know that God is a perfect God. We know that God is a just God. And in his justice, he sees humanity and he sees our rebellion, our trying to live life apart from God. And God's like, you've broken my laws, therefore you deserve my judgment. This is divine wrath. Paul says it's been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness is our posture of resisting God, and unrighteousness is breaking law. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, like, look, I am a law-abiding citizen. Well, let's take the Illinois laws, for example, here. Let me me see how law-abiding we all are. You ever go above the speed limit? You, you, You ever drive without a license, right? You ever, you ever double park in front of a fire hydrant or sung happy birthday in public? You didn't know about that one, did you? There's actually a copyright on the song happy birthday, so you can't sing it in public. You guys are lawbreakers, every single one of you. But the reality is here, look, Paul's not talking about Illinois state law. He's saying that we have broken actually a greater law, and that is the law that God has placed in our hearts. With every greedy thought and action, every lustful thought and action, our pride, our gossip, and you go down the list, is an affront against God's law. And what we hear then is we are all lawbreakers. And as lawbreakers, we are all recipients of God's just wrath. This is bad news for you and me. And you and I should be feeling a little squirmy in all of this. Because God is not passive in the face of sin. But look here. This bad news actually gets worse. Because God's not passive because we are without excuse. See, the second thing we find here in the text is that God is not hidden to the eyes of humanity. You see, God's not passive towards sin because he's actually revealed himself to all of humanity without exception. Look what it says here in verse 19. I'm sorry, going back to verse 18. We suppress the truth. What truth do we suppress? Words verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things have been made, so they are without excuse. What Paul is saying here is that every single one of us has an inkling of God imprinted on our soul. And when we look to creation, we see something of God. In theology, we call this general revelation versus something called special revelation. 
I want you to bear with me here. General revelation is God revealing, that's revelation, revealing himself generally to all the worlds so that when everyone looks around, we see something about God. But general revelation is different from special revelation because special revelation is when God reveals to us what Jesus has done on the cross for our sins. So let me put it this way. What we perceive in the world around us should call all of us to acknowledge that there must be a God and then cause us to seek him out. But creation cannot save us from our sins. We need special revelation. We need to know about Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. But what Paul is saying here, general revelation is enough to condemn every single person who sees it. Notice there, Paul says this, that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Let's take a look at God's eternal power. When we start thinking, if you've done this, I know I've done it, my kids have done it, and they start asking me these questions. Well, this earth, what, what came before the earth? Well, then there's God. Well, what came before God? Right? We start going back in our mind, if this happened, what before that, before that, before that, before that? And eventually, we just go on for infinity, right? See, what Paul is saying is when we do that, our minds start reasoning and recognizing there must be something, someone who is eternal that put all of creation into movement. You see, his eternal power is evident just when we think of what came before that. And eventually we come to a God who is eternal, who is outside of our minds. We know that something cannot come from nothing unless that something is eternal. And that is God. Not only do we perceive in this way his invisible attributes, but Paul even says God's divine nature. That we see an intelligent design in creation. I was thinking of it this way. Imagine creation like a great book, like a wonderful novel. And as you read it, you are stuck in the story. You're enthralled with what's going on. And then you come to the final chapter and you're waiting for the crescendo, for the climax. And the story ends with a cliffhanger. And then you feel like, man, I I need to find out what happens next. Creation is a cliffhanger book And we don't get the sequel until we hear about Jesus. And so when we read creation, what God wants us to do is long for him and say, God, I need to know more. If there's a God out there, I need to know more. And I believe that God in his faithfulness causes those who seek him to find him. Creation is like a great book. Or consider it this way. Creation is like a vast library. And every time you pull a book off the shelf, you learn something else about God and creation. Consider the book of the oceans, where you go to the Mariana Trench, and you understand that there is a trench there called Challenger Deep, which is the deepest part of the ocean as we know it, seven miles deep. We read that book of creation, and we're amazed, and we're thinking, there's got to be more. And then we put that book on the shelf and take out the book of the universe. 
And we realize that the earth is a planet that's part of a solar system. And our solar system is part of a galaxy called the Milky Way. And that the Milky Way then has hundreds of billions of planets in other solar systems. And we start reading that. We're saying there's got to be more. And then we realize that the Milky Way is just one, uh, one solar system or one galaxy. And there's hundreds of billions of other galaxies. And we're looking and saying, there's got to be more. We take out the book of the mountains and we see Everest and its 29,000 foot peak. We, say the, we say, take the book of humanity and read about humans' anatomy and the design behind us. You see, all of creation points to an intelligent designer. And Paul's saying, that has been clearly perceived. But that's general revelation. It's not enough to save us, but it is enough to condemn us. Paul tells us here that these things have been clearly perceived and therefore we are without excuse. There are no excuses in God's economy because God is not hidden to the eyes of humanity. Church, this is bad news. That God is not passive in the face of sin. That we are responsible and condemned because he is not hidden to our eyes. And the third thing that condemns us, we see in verses 21 to 23, is that ultimately God's not praised on the lips of people. You see, Paul says here, although they knew God, although people around us, and some of you are here today, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is, this is important. I need you all to hear me here. Because some of you I know today are listening to this and you are kind of on the fence when it comes to Jesus. And I need you to hear something because the last three sermons I've preached from this stage to this screen, the same exact point has come up and there's been different passages and not on purpose. And so this, when I was thinking about this today, I was like, God, I think you, you have a word for somebody who's watching today and this may be you. See, the problem with humanity, and I think the problem with some of you, maybe you today, is not an information problem, but it's a heart problem. You don't need more convincing that there is a God. You need more convincing that you need this God. And so Paul is saying here, That God has been shouting out through all of creation for all time, saying, look, I'm here. And so many people say, yeah, I see that. But I'm going to find other ways to explain this because I don't want my heart to submit to him. And that might be where you're at today. And I want to plead with you that that you might think your, 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 your problem is you need more proof. When deep down inside, you know it's not a proof problem but it's a pride problem. And you got to humble yourself before God. Maybe you've begun to convince yourself to think that if you come to Jesus, the things you enjoy in life will be gone and that this new life will be worse. But in reality, it's quite the opposite. When we come to Jesus, the things of this world that we've often found so much pleasure in become more and more futile And the things of God become far more glorious. I don't know if you hear me in your rooms, but if you agree, please give an amen. Because this is what we find. I I think of of the great writer C.S. Lewis, and he used this illustration I'm going to tweak just a bit. 
It's like we are children playing in mud when God is offering us the dream vacation and yet we are here in the mud playing with it saying this is so good and we're saying I don't want the dream vacation and God's like for real? I'm offering you eternal life. I'm offering you forgiveness of sin. I'm offering you a relationship with me and you are satisfied playing in the mud. It's not an information problem. It's a heart problem. And I pray that you would surrender to Jesus today. See, God's not praised on the lips of people. And for God, that's a problem. Our hearts have been darkened. We've begun to find and pursue other things. Church, this passage is a bad news passage. In fact, in verse 22, it says, Claiming to be wise, we became few fools. And we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul's like, look, we've seen the fact that there is an invisible, eternal, immortal God. And when we reject him, we're choosing other things that are so much less than him. And this exchange is dangerous. A couple of weeks ago, we ordered from Instacart for the very first time. It was something that I was reluctant to do. I'll be honest. I'm like, I don't want to pay someone to do my groceries. But we realized, you know what, there's some wisdom in this if we can make it happen. And at that moment, we needed to make that happen. And what I learned is what Instacart does, you put an order in online, and this person goes to the store to shop for you. But if the order that you requested is not available, they ask you if, you, if this is a sufficient substitute. So you might say, I want, um, I want sharp cheddar cheese. And they might say, they're out of sharp cheddar. Can we give you mild cheddar cheese? And they're going down the list like this, looking for your items. But as, you thought, as I thought about this, there were some items you just can't have a substitute for. Like, for instance, if you have uh, a, a, a dairy allergy and you need something that is a dairy-free product, any substitute that has dairy with it is actually problematic for you. It may look the same, it may even taste the same, but if it's got dairy, it'll kill you. Not all substitutes are good for your soul, church. And so what Paul is saying here, when we go out shopping outside of God's parameters and we start looking for substitutes other than God, it will kill you, church. It is dangerous for your soul. And Paul's like, they've exchanged the perfect God for something that will kill them. This is the predicament of humanity. And I read this passage and my heart begins to well up with the weightiness of my own sin, because I know that my lips don't always praise God. I know that my eyes don't always acknowledge him in creation. I know that God is not passive toward my sin. And that is dangerous for us. But one thing as I think about this is that God is not passive toward sin. That's bad news. But God is not passive towards sin. It's also good news. Because God himself said, I will satisfy my righteous demands by punishing sin. And I will punish sin on my son, Jesus the Christ. You see, we skipped over here verses 
1, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation. You see, the fact that God is not passive towards sin becomes good news for us when we see a perfect Jesus on a cross. Look, church, you got to understand, this is why Jesus went to the cross. Without a reason for the cross, wrath, there's no reason to preach the cross. And what we find is that Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane prayed and prayed, God, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. The cup that Jesus was talking about as he prayed before his crucifixion was not the cross of his suffering at the hands of people. Look, this was not what Jesus was most worried and stressed about, although he would be tortured. What Jesus is asking, God, would you let the cup of your wrath pass from me. Jesus knew that on that cross, God the Father's wrath would be poured on him. That's why on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, Jesus became sin for us and was punished for it. God is not passive towards sin, and Jesus took our sin problem and the penalty of it, which is called death. And God is not passive, but neither is God impotent. God is powerful enough to save us from our sin and to give us forgiveness. That's what he offers through special revelation. And what you are hearing today is God bringing his truth to bear on your ears and calling you to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus if you've never done that. You see, without wrath, there's no need for salvation. Unless there is something to save us from, there's no point in talking about what God would save us with. Church, we need to understand that there is bad news and that God's wrath is poured on sin, but there is good news that Jesus took that wrath. If you are a Christian today, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Let this cause you to praise. And if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, please come off that fence and acknowledge Jesus to be your Savior. and Put your faith in him as you turn away from your sin and turn to him and live for him. Church, we don't have excuses. None of creation has excuses. But we do praise God that in his power, he has made a way. Church family, get this news out to people in your life. Let them know that there is a God who will rescue them from their sin. And it all begins with that prayer, Lord, I need you. I need you more than anything. Let's pray. My God, we hear the words of Paul written here in Romans. And on the one hand, we shudder at the thought of what we deserve. And the other hand, we marvel at the thought of what you offer us, forgiveness. Oh Lord, may we just stay in this place saying thank you God for your forgiveness. Let me not take your promises lightly. And Lord, I do pray for that man or that woman or that youth who needed to hear today that their problem is not an information problem, but a heart problem. And God, I pray that they would humble themselves and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. Lord, pull them off of that fence into your salvation. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Let this closing song be the prayer of our hearts as we express to God the fact that we need him. Man, what an accurate song to close with. Man, that's, that's the cry of my heart, and I pray that it's also the cry of your heart. Josh, thank you for leading us today in worship, and uh, Pastor Jeremy for your work, and Erica and Tito. Uh, church family, we love you all. We miss you guys a ton, and we are longing for the day we get back together in worship like this. Um, but from now until then, we're going to continue on in our live stream, continue on in our celebration of God and his goodness. Um, before we sign off today, I want to invite you again to fill out the connections card that's been provided in the link there in the comments. Um, this is not just for those who are new to the brook, but it's also to, to those who are in our church family. We, we want to know how we can pray for you. And there is a prayer request or comment or praise section. This is going to be a great way for us to stay posted on what's going on in your life. Um, so please go ahead and click that and, uh, and share with others. All right. I want to leave you with this blessing. Um, from the Torah, the Old Testament scriptures in the first five books of Moses. It says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you, church family. We look forward to seeing you soon through Zoom and in other ways. Take care.